inspiration and the spurious verses at the end of mark by b b warfield this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org professor n m wheeler broaches a subject in the sunday school times for january sixth on which i was prevented from dwelling in my paper on mark sixteen nine to twenty only by sheer lack of space why does the proof of the spuriousness of that section force us not only to cut it away from mark's gospel but also to exclude it entirely from god's word perhaps i may be permitted now to point out the grounds of my statement of the fact it is to be frankly admitted at the outset one that our present word of god does not necessarily include every inspired writing two that known authorship is not essential to inspiration or canonicity and three that there seems to be no good reason to suspect either the truthfulness or the truth of the narrative contained in mark sixteen nine to twenty i have never been able to discover that any one has ever found the slightest trace of an inspired uncanonical writing but i can conceive of such a thing and gladly admit that while inspiration is essential to canonicity canonicity is not essential to inspiration the fact that the authorship of hebrews or of second or third john is in dispute does not at all justify us in doubting that any one of them is a part of god's word i for one cannot see that the last verses of mark either bear a palpably mythological appearance or are hopelessly inconsistent with scripture statements and have therefore not urged such points against their genuineness on the other hand however i see equally clearly the following facts one the evidence that proves the spuriousness of these verses proves that they were not originally a part of mark's gospel but were added to it subsequent to the giving of that gospel to the church by the apostolical circle and added moreover by hands the scribes of the western text which exhibit themselves everywhere else as untrustworthy and licentious in the extreme perhaps much more may follow from this but this certainly follows the evidence which is ample of the canonicity and inspiration of mark's gospel does not apply to these verses they must stand on separate evidence for themselves or fall two there is no separate evidence either of their inspiration or canonicity it is very apparent that the early church writers who accepted them as scripture did so only because they found them a part of mark and so applied the evidence for mark to them the verses themselves make no claim to inspiration assume no tone of authority and present no phenomena if that were possible which will force us to assume inspiration at their base perhaps professor wheeler and i are using the term inspiration in different senses he in a sense which would make it include all or most of the divine influences at work in the origin of scripture i in a sense which would confine it to the specific superintendence by god of the act of writing designed to secure accuracy of record in the absence of external evidence of inspiration and of expressed or implied claim to inspiration in its own bosom the only phenomenon in a writing which could be claimed as proof of inspiration would thus be its absolute truth to fact in its every statement but not only is this test not thoroughly applicable in the present case but since absolute accuracy might be attained apart from inspiration it can never standing alone prove inspiration if our present section be inspired therefore we at least can never know it and that is the same to us as if it were not inspired 
certainly the subjective test of inspiration which if i do not misunderstand him professor wheeler puts forward may avail to prove a divine truth and power in the words here recorded a supernatural origin for the declarations here made but not a specific divine superintendence of the act of writing three the lack of all external evidence of the existence in the apostolic or sub-apostolic age of any inspired gospel or evangelical writing other than our four as well as the absolute denial of the existence of such a writing from at least 175 a d irenaeus seems to me valid proof that none such existed and therefore will force us to declare of any evangelical fragment proved not to be a part of one of our gospels that it is not inspired and no part of god's word this does not deny that such a fragment may contain truth or may be of unspeakable historical value or may preserve to us inspired as well as revealed words otherwise lost to us but it does deny that the record of these words which we have was given under the seal of god's superintending inspiration and thus comes to us divinely countersigned as accurate it does not deny the profitableness of the record for reading and meditating upon all truth is thus profitable but it does deny that it is part of the rule of faith and practice given by god to his church part of the corpus juris body of law of christians so far therefore as the last verses of mark may be shown to contain a true record of any command of christ they will be gladly obeyed by all christian hearts and so would the same kind of record preserved by josephus or tacitus but though they may thus contain words of christ they are not themselves in all their parts a word of god they cannot have assigned to them the significant title of the oracles these considerations have lain so much on the surface that pretty nearly all critics of all schools have yielded to them and either accept the verses as part of mark's gospel or reject them from god's word tregellus stands alone among well-known names in attempting to occupy the middle ground and he has been literally scourged from it by dean bergen whose success in opposing tregellus on this point is the more striking on account of his failure elsewhere professor wheeler justly insists that the right of private judgment must be vindicated for every christian in determining what is scripture as well as in determining what scripture teaches and he as justly insists that this right involves a duty and a heavy responsibility let no man then deceive himself by imagining that he can exercise the right or perform the duty by any short and easy method by any method indeed which does not involve a patient and careful sifting of the evidences what is scripture cannot be determined by the simple test does this strike me as true does this truth find me our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority of scripture is indeed from the inward work of the holy spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts it is by his work alone that we are enabled to practically rest on scripture as god's word to us but the proof of inspiration is elsewhere and in the case of a new testament book must begin with this query is there valid reason for believing that the apostles gave this book to the church as authoritative i can find no such reason for believing this of the last twelve verses of mark end of inspiration and the spurious verses at the end of mark by b b warfield